Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com, brought to you by American Resources. I'm Matthew Rode, your host, and today we're going to talk about multicultural consumers and some of the strategies that the National Pork Board has had uh, when it comes to a multicultural, multi-generational consumption of pork. When we look at this episode, we are really going to be focusing on the National Pork Board's uh, focus on that uh, multicultural Uh, side of things. I mean, we're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month right now. The celebrities they brought on board recently to to drive a new platform called Pulne Pork is pretty exciting as they look to increase demand and awareness of pork. Uh, The National Pork Board has leveraged really the grilling season to incorporate pork into families' dinner tables this year. They've even focused on Hispanic Heritage Month as an opportunity of celebrating pork's rich nutritional value and integral role in Latinos past, present, and future. When we think about the research that they've done, it's it's all proprietary, and it's based on how taste remains the top driver of pork purchases among Hispanics. Yet Hispanics often see pork as the heavy centerpiece of meals and may disregard its potential as an ingredient just to be used on the side. So due to these findings, National Pork Board will use Ponle Pork Platform to clarify the misconceptions about pork and show how it's good for you, easy to prepare, and an excellent source of protein to any dish. When, I guess, we dive into that, we're also going to be focusing on how the strategic platform is going to drive current and future pork affinity amongst African-American millennial and Gen Z consumers, specifically developed to help consumers experience the best meals they've ever had with the soulful flavor of fresh pork, seasoned vegetables, and the latest in nutrition cooking techniques. This is going to connect fresh cuts like for the pork tenderloin, sirloin roast, pork chops, and ground pork to the cultural flavors of soul food with a nutritional twist. It leans into taste, amplifying its message around nutrition and the cultural components uh, in a relevant way. So I am thrilled to dive into this one because I love travel. And I think I love travel the most because of the different types of foods that I can enjoy when I travel. And pork is always on the top of the list of things I've got to try. And I think Hispanic culture, Latino culture knocks it out of the park. So without further ado, joining us today is Jose de Jesus. How are you doing, Jose? Jose is a Senior Director of Multicultural Marketing at the National Pork Board. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you, Matthew. How are you today? I'm great. I, I just had my coffee, so I'm a little jazzed up and excited to talk about this one yeah me too me too i i uh you know anytime there's a opportunity to talk about pork uh sign me off for that so (laughs) talking to you and i you know i'm like you i love traveling um and and just like you stated uh the reason is the food you know i love uh experiencing 
different types of food. And, you know, I'm, I'm here in the Midwest, in Des Moines, Iowa. So um, I, I like to go other places and experience uh, other cultures and food, be it uh, Hispanic foods or even Asian food as well. And even the intersection, like we were just talking, like I just brought up the intersection of cultures and the way that we cook things that that also has a nice spark to it. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Where are you from? And how did you get introduced to the the pork industry? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I I was born and raised in, in uh, Puerto Rico, and um, I've been uh, I came to the mainland uh, U.S. Uh, back in 1997, where I went to school uh, in Dubuque, Iowa, at a school called uh, Park University. And from there, um, I got my education, moved to Green Bay, Wisconsin, and um, I worked there for about maybe five years or so, close to five years, and then moved back to Des Moines. Um, just, I, you know, I went to school in, in Iowa, so I just wanted to, uh, my wife is from Iowa, so I just wanted to be closer to their family. So, um, yeah, I, I, my, my career has been um, many different uh, areas, so I've worked in, um, in media, I worked in higher education, I worked in financial services, and now agriculture. So I've been here, the National Board Board, for the last, uh, what, 10 years? Um, I just turned 10 years here in September. So uh, really, really excited uh, about the opportunity to talk to you about this uh, important markets, um, obviously recognizing uh, the situation with, with our producers uh, they're, that they're in. So we're trying to do our best to drive a lot of uh, demand uh, for the product. So, but yeah, been here for 10 years at the National Port Board. Uh, it's been a great ride. Um, just, you know, just focus on, on really promoting pork to these audiences. And, and you may ask why the reason is because they eat a lot of pork, right? Um, and they might, while well, they might eat a lot of pork, there's a lot of, uh, consumption barriers that exist right now that we're trying to kind of break down, if you will, uh, because we know that there's, there's an opportunity to eat more pork among these audiences. So when... You went to Green Bay. Did you uh, did you become a Packers fan? You know, I I must, <laughs> but I did. Um, I uh, I actually for the longest of time, you know, football in general is not that big in Puerto Rico. Although I would say that um, it has become bigger just because football in general has grown in popularity over the years. Um, but I never really had a team per se. I suppose I was more. Kind of pay attention maybe to the Niners uh, simply because they were a big market team at the time. They had Joe Montana and, and Young, those guys. And, and so, you know, they were all over TV and things along those lines. But it wasn't until I moved to Green Bay that I kind of, uh, you know, kind of recognized, you know, it's a big deal. It, it really is. I mean, you don't really know how to explain it or even think about it until you move to Green Bay and you see the community. I mean, everything stops in Green Bay. On Sunday, it's... <laughs> And, you know, you can, you know, it's the dead, the streets are dead, basically. I mean, during Sunday afternoon, during game. So uh, it's a very, really good community, tight community. They support their teams. And, uh, you know, yeah, I became a Packer fan. I, I really did. And to this day, yeah, I still root for them. So some of the things we do before we hop into episodes is I ask some, some questions and uh, we'll call them rapid fire questions. If you don't want to answer it, we can always pass. But First question is, where in the world, if you could travel tomorrow, would be top of your bucket list? Probably Japan. Japan is, is such an interesting country. 
Um, I love, uh, and even in Korea as well, I would take those two. Um, I just feel that they're, they're trendsetters. They got great, um, you know, a great culture, their food. Every time I see some Asian uh, foods, I, I just, I just can't help but to think, man, how can I try that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they, they know how, particularly when, when it's related to pork, because they know how to use the pig in, in, in their cuisine, if you will. Uh, nothing gets thrown away. They get very creative with their dishes. Um, you know, we were uh, at our RAC meeting last week. Um, that's a retail advisory committee that we have. It's an industry meeting where we bring kind of people from the supply chain, including retailers, and talk about the industry things and issues. And we're talking a lot about this subject, multicultural. And one of the things uh, during uh, one of our lunches, uh, they serve. Uh, they served, they had a multicultural theme, but one of the dishes was a tonkatsu, which is, uh, it's a breaded loin. It's a very famous uh, dish in Japan. Uh, it's, it's a breaded loin, and the way they do it, 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 it's just amazing. And, you know, obviously they try to recreate it here in the, in the U.S. with Orlando, and, but it was just a very tasty dish, uh, very famous in Japan. And then they had uh, Caribbean pernil, which is uh, pernil, it's using the, the picnic rose, and uh, it's just a fantastic dish with a lot of flavor. So I'm always looking for opportunities like that. But that tonkatsu, I'll tell you what, I mean, it was unbelievable. And I think everybody uh, who was uh, at that meeting was talking about that dish. And again, that's an example of, of Asian cuisine that they, they just seem to be, they elevate pork to a whole new level. What is your go-to beer or drink? Oh my! Uh, you know, beer. I must confess, I'm not a. I'm not into that craft beer a lot. I'm a pretty simple you know, guy when it comes to beer. I'm gonna have a Michelob Ultra. I'm gonna have a Mill Light. Uh, you know, I can have anything. I'm gonna have a uh, a Modelo. I like the Modelo as well. Uh, I like uh, Medalla, which is a. It's a. It's a beer that's. Uh, from Puerto Rico, you don't get it here much, but every time I go to Puerto Rico with my family, I, I buy some of that. In terms of drinks, um, you know, I drink I drink some 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 wine, uh, more of a Cabernet type guy. Um, I also, if I go to the liquor, maybe uh, I like my my vodka a little bit and maybe a little bit of scotch uh, when I feel you know into it. Um, but those are I, I stick to the basics. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a big craft beer drinker, so I'm kind of more of a light, light lager type drinker. What about if you were thrown into a karaoke bar and had to sing a song? What is your go-to karaoke song? Uh, you know what? Have you ever heard this song? Uh, maybe it became very popular. Despacito from Daddy. Oh, Daddy. yeah. Oh, yes. I'll tell you what, that Despacito, that, that song, when it came out, I mean... I don't care if you know Spanish, English, French, Italian. Everybody was singing that song, and uh, and whether you understood it or not, it was one of those songs that you know it it just it just made you feel good. And uh, I'm especially proud of that one because you know those two those two artists are from uh, Puerto Rico. So to me, um, you know, it, it was one of those songs that you know that I think it had the record at some point of download. Or view. Oh yeah, 
billions and billions of views. So um, that's one that I probably could jam to it and even attempt to to give it a shot. <laughs> and a Spanish version too. I, I don't think the English version is near as good as the Spanish version. I would agree. I would agree. That's you know, <laughs> trying to you know it's such a, it's got such a great rhythm, and I think you know trying to serve uh, non-Spanish speakers to get that version a little bit, particularly so they can play in radio. Uh, just a great song. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, and then I'm going to start something new here. Um, one of the guys on our team, we were asking for fun facts and his fun fact was he eats over 500 pounds of pork a year, which I thought was insane. So I'm going to start asking guests on the podcast if they think that they eat more pork than that a year. So you'll be the first person I'm asking, but do you think that you would take over the record for eating more than 500 pounds of pork a year? Wow. Sorry. Hard to point to that. Um, I would say that I, I do my share eating of pork. Um, you know, I've always eaten a lot of pork. Um, I, I rarely eat a lot of other protein, particularly chicken. You know, I'm not too too much into that. Um, I think pork is, and I, I'm not saying that just to say it. I mean it. I mean, I grew up in Puerto Rico just, you know, two weekends ago. I just roasted three suckling pigs for my brother's birthday. Uh, we eat a lot of pork. I would say I eat pork at least five, uh, five, five days a week, if not more. So I love cooking. I love to roast pigs. I love to to cook. I even have a little outdoor kitchen that I kind of do all my my fun dishes there and uh, have a lot of people over all the time. Um, I have that sounds awesome. Five big roasters. So, you know, I mean, I, I eat it all. I, I don't throw anything away. So to jump into today's topic and conversation, can you tell us a little bit about some of the insights you have into multicultural consumers? Yeah, you bet. I mean, I, I think uh, to level set this quickly, I can tell you a little bit of, you know, one of the, some of the reasons why the National Pork Board is, is being proactive with this consumers. Um, but, you know, I'll give you three, three points uh, in, in particular. Number one, uh, when you look back at, the last 20 years or so, most, most of the population growth in this country has come from multicultural consumers, specifically Hispanics, Asians, and African-American uh, as well. So, you know, this is, this is about understanding where the growth is happening and how do we, how, how do we capitalize on that? Now, when you think about the next 40 to 50 years uh, in this country, most of the population growth will continue to come from those consumers. So look, as a pork industry, we have a great opportunity to hitch our, 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 our wagon, I guess, to a growing demographic that, by the way, happens to have an unbelievable affinity for pork. And so to me, when, when, when the affinity and the love for pork is there, to me, it's easier to convert those uh, consumers to give you another chance um, you know, for, from a frequency perspective, right? From a occasion perspective, how do we get consumers to eat more pork more often? That's the ultimate goal, right? Yeah. You drive demand, and um, you know, we're we're fishing where the fish are. Essentially, is what, what we're trying to do because nobody's eating more pork than those three demographics. So, that's two points. Number three would be that it's the uh, buying power. You know, when you when you combine the buying power of the African American consumer as well as the Hispanic consumer, it's about four point four trillion dollars. All right, that's a lot of money. So this idea that these consumers are niche, um, 
it's it's not true. I mean, when you think about yeah, you know, Hispanic, Asian Americans, uh, Black consumers, they're about thirty five to forty percent of the of the population who happen to eat a lot of pork. We need to capitalize on that. So, what are their preferences with pork? I know you mentioned many different groups of individuals there and that might not align between all of them, but let's say for the Hispanic population, what is their preferences with pork and what are some misconceptions? Yeah. I mean, in terms of preferences with all these groups, I mean, I don't, I don't think um, there's a specific kind of cut per se. I mean, I would say that this consumers, Hispanics included, they eat a lot of pork and they eat it all. I mean, yes, of course, they're, they're, you know, a lot of the dishes that they do eat uh, going to the variety meats, right? Which, by the way, we tend to export uh, a lot of the variety meats into markets such as Mexico uh, and other places in Latin America and Asian countries. So uh, lots of variety meats like pig feet, uh, ears, I mean, tail, I mean, you name it, everything. Um, they eat a lot of pork in terms of um, a little bit different maybe than than what they, the non-multicultural audiences in the u.s in the u.s may do for example you know we see a lot of consumption of pork uh, as a center of the plate whereas asian and latinos are eating a lot of pork as an ingredient um which it's it's a different take because it's not your you know mashed potato gravy big pork chop on the plate right it's kind of more you know eating pork as an ingredient like if you're uh, eating stuff uh bell peppers, right, with ground pork, for example. So, and you also see, like, even in Mexican cuisine, you see, like, ribs where they really cut them into, like, small pieces and they use it in stews and things along those lines. So it's it's the way they, they eat it, not the way, not the different type of cup, but the way they use it in their cuisine maybe is a little bit different. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's what the, the Hispanic, I mean, I think that the black consumer, um, it's, it's a differently i mean there's a lot of process um consumption going on which our opportunity for our for our industries around the fresh side because there's a big gap between process consumption and fresh consumption and a lot of that stuff is tied also to soul food flavors right um, mm-hmm. that are so typical in the south for example so we know the affinity is great there then the opportunity for us how can we leverage that type of preference because we know they love how pork tastes and then leverage that to increase uh, consumption and demand uh, in the fresh side. Yeah, so I guess when you say some of the flavors, I think for me is if I could figure out a way to support a restaurant coming to Iowa that could do authentic Guadalajara tortas with pork, I think my life would be like way, way more, I'd, I'd be a happier person automatically. Oh, <laughs> Whoa. Oh my goodness. Those things are insane. When we think about some of the misconceptions, uh, can you talk to those? And also, can you talk to, when you think about soul food, sometimes soul food has a bit of a more lengthy prep time. I mean, if we're thinking ribs or we're thinking pulled pork or we're thinking some of that, do you think that this instant culture that we're in um, is is making it more challenging for pork or do you think that uh, pork has an opportunity there? And, and again, yeah, what are some of those other misconceptions? Yeah, so I think the biggest misconception uh, it, it's around nutrition. For some mm-hmm. pork, pork just have a negative perception and um, 
you know, it comes from a lot of different sources, um, including at time from the medical community, right? Um, but, you know, we, we are actively trying to position for number one as a flavorful, tasty protein, because we know that's our number one attribute, right? We know that aside from price, because you can ask consumers all the time, aside from price, what's the main driver of things? They always go back to price. But we don't want to compete on price. That's not long-term. Uh, long-term sustainable. We want to compete on the attributes that we know we can win. So pork, um, when it comes to pork, flavor is that next attribute where we can win. So we know that. However, there are some nutrition barriers that we have to uh, consider. And part of it is, you know, it's the way we grew up, right? In the Hispanic culture, for example, everybody knows somebody that plans to have gotten sick from eating pork. And so it has that negative connotation, unfortunately, uh, but we have done a lot of research at the National Port Board to try to understand that sentiment. And then how do we start switching that conversation? Because we know pork is nutritious. We know it should be part of everyone's diet. And so we're actively trying to address so we call it myth, right? Uh, that pork is not good for you. That if you don't cook it past 145, for example, you get sick. Uh, you know, and that's not the case. I mean, we have our our producers, our pig farmers are the best at what they, nobody's even close to being second. Okay. Um, so we know they're the best producers raising pigs and we know we have all the biosecurity. Um, this is not like other countries and even third world countries where you see wet markets with uh, pork carcasses hanging out in the middle of the day when it's 85 degrees out. Uh, that's a cause for concern, right? But we don't do that here. So um, this is about instilling confidence in the consumer that what they're eating is good for them and their family. And unfortunately, uh, it's not a it's not a short term uh, deal uh, to change those perceptions. You know, perceptions run deep and they're hard to change. But we got to think about this long term because at some point, if we can change that and start making progress there as an industry, we feel demand and consumption uh, and consumption will follow suit. Um, oh yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up the that opinion of it being unsafe if you don't cook it right. Because I I was hearing this over and over and over, and so I finally started talking to a lot of people from Mexico specifically and asking them about it, and they were like, "Oh yeah, like my grandparents, like there was this thing," and that they all had a story that tied back to a grandparent passing down information through the generations about some bad experience they had. And they, I, I can't remember how they explained it, but explained it, but they explained it in such a way where they were like the concerns that drove their, the things that drove their concerns wouldn't even be relevant in today's um, <laughs> world per se, but it is crazy how much that's been passed down. It, yeah, it is. And it's uh, unfortunately it has not been very kind to pork. And, you know, we, uh, I've been to Mexico number of times we even done research over there and i remember this about maybe five years ago if we were in mexico city doing some research and qualitative work may, maybe uh for your readers doing a lot of interviews with mexican consumers from all parts of mexico different regions um and i remember people talking about how they would rinse uh pork before they even cooked it right before they even seasoned it they would rinse it with either water or vinegar that was their way to kind of make sure that it was okay to now start working with that. And then the overcooking, right? Overcooking, 
uh, lots of frying going on in the Hispanic culture as well. Um, but a lot of it is, is that, I mean, you know, somebody knows a relative that had gotten trichinosis at some point, according to them. And it's a big, big fear. So, um, we know that's not the case, right? But there's, that kind of tells you why we need to be educating this consumer, because there's a lot of misinformation out there and our, our, you know, our organization, the national Pork board, um, you know, we, we have a group of, you know, uh, nutrition folks who are really good, understands sort of the nutrition background and the, and the profile, and they're actively doing some, some proactive work on this, but it uh, takes a village because all this, those, this, um, beliefs are ingrained in, you know, in the culture and, uh, it makes it a lot harder yet. We know that consumption is really high. So imagine what we can accomplish as an industry if we can start removing some of these barriers. Can you talk a little bit about the Ponle pork platform and how it's addressing misconceptions and some of the results that have come from it? Ponle pork means add pork, by the way. So it's a call to action to add pork to any dish you create. The reason uh, we came up with that, and I promise that in, in Spanish sounds very, very good, makes sense. Uh, <laughs> with with the Hispanic consumer, right? So it's not just as simple as add pork. I'm translating to you what the call to action is to add pork to any meal that, that you're choosing to eat. We know from research that uh, a lot of the Hispanic consumer, for example, are eating more, more greens, more veggies. They're adopting a little bit more of a plant-forward diet. And you see a lot of our competitor from alternative protein, per se, um, they're starting to reach out proactively to to these consumers and you know we know we know that this consumer cares about what they're eating we know that they're gravitating toward plant forward meals and so for us this is a strategic platform where you know we give the permission for that consumer to eat pork and not feel guilty right so it adds to their meals to their tradition to their healthy lifestyles uh, and so uh, it's a platform that we tested with the consumer. We went out and had about five concepts and we talked to the consumer, to the Hispanic consumer, and which one kind of, you know, resonated more with that consumer. And this was one, this, this one, Ponle Pork, was by far the, the, the one that resonated the most. So um, it, is, it is a platform uh, that we introduced uh, last year and it is... At the end of the day, it's it's a platform that its main objective is to drive demand for U.S. pork among these consumers. How we bring it to life is it could be different. I mean, you'll see a lot of these vibrant colors like like yellowish, a, a really cool blue, you know. Um, and a lot of this this uh, this colors and the way we position the products on purpose. I mean, we want people to number one when they see a dish. Think about, I can't wait to eat this. It's, it looks so good. It, I can taste it, basically. And then from a creative perspective, to make sure that they feel like, oh, man, that good not only looks good, but it looks really healthy or nutritious, right? So that's kind of our goal uh, with this platform. Um, you know, we have three main uh, <clears throat> pillars that we work on. Um, that we anchor all of our content. So we work with a lot of people, right? We work with a lot of content creators or influencers, you know, to kind of carry our message forward. But the three main pillars that we use are flavor, for the reasons I outlined, is our number one driver, aside from price, nutrition. That's how we back 
back up everything that we say and instill confidence in, in the consumer that this is a good product to eat. You don't have to feel guilty about it. And then culture. Culture is how we localize it to them. We know what pork means in their lifestyle. We know what pork means in their culture with the traditions and those things. So all the content that we put out there in front of this consumer is anchored on some cultural nuance that kind of brings it home to the consumer because we can't do generic advertising, right? you got to understand the target. And as I always say is, you know, if you're Latino or Hispanic and you're, and you're seeing this and you're kind of in our target market, you're going to see this content. If you're not, you're not going to see it. And if you do see it and you're not Latino, we're not doing it right. So that's the best way I can explain it. We're very precise and targeted in the work that we do. Because, you know, frankly, we don't have all the money in the world to do to do this uh, at scale like that. So we have to prioritize markets and areas and groups so that we're being very deliberate about the, the work that we're doing to try to increase demand and consumption of pork. So can you talk a little bit about the don't miss the flavor platform with African-American consumers? Yes, um, that's a. Uh, I like that platform a lot too. Uh, it was born out of similar things, a lot of pushback in terms of nutrition as well. Uh, we know that the uh, African-American or black consumer eats a lot of pork, particularly processed. I think the pork penetration for process is in the 90, 94, 95% uh, in terms of process. Now, when you look at the fresh side, it's about 60 something, 67 or close to 70. So there's a big gap right there that we need to close, right? So we know also that this consumer tends to gravitate towards, again, a lot of this um, either plant forward meals, but also they consider other proteins when they, they, they want to eat healthy. And so they leave pork behind. But we know that the number one reason they're eating a lot of processed, maybe more so than anybody else, is because of flavor. So the don't miss the flavor is kind of a reminder to that consumer that if you choose to go to other proteins, you're going to miss what you love most about pork, and that's flavor. So that's the whole idea. It's a, it's a strategic platform to drive pork consumption among what the target that we call Gen Zennial, which is Gen Zs and millennials. So we just kind of came up with that word as, as an umbrella, right? Gen Zennials. And similarly um, to the Pond Report platform, uh, it leans into taste and, and the cultural flavors of soul food, as we talked earlier, uh, while we amplify nutrition messaging behind, behind that so that we're, we're giving uh, consumers the permission to eat pork and, and not feel guilty about it. Can you talk a little bit about the generations, uh, Gen Z, millennials? Uh, how, do, how have they differed from the boomers and the generations in between? Yeah, so uh, interesting you're, you're asking that because I can tell you that a lot of this younger consumer, you know, they're not eating as much pork as, uh, you know, as the, the boomer, right? Now, that being said, they're going to have to start eating. We need to start targeting them because at the end of the day, like somebody's going to have to carry that load for our industry down the road. You know, as boomers face out, um, it's the next generation up. So we got to start building relevancy with this consumer or else, you know, where, where is our industry going to be? So um, it's, a, it's a different kind of consumer. Uh, we, know that, um, we know that the millennial 
um, is, is the glue of the Hispanic family, for example. We know that they are decision makers for both the older and younger family members. Um, we know that they're, they're making decisions at the time of purchase. So we, we have to consider that. I mean, and by the way, they all want to be rich in the digital space. So we're not necessarily using traditional channels such as uh, billboards or TV print app or anything like that because this consumer doesn't do that, right? So again, it's about being smart of, you know, not just how to reach him, but where to reach him in terms of the channels. Uh, and that's in the digital space through social media, for example, uh, that we do that. So, and then when you think about them as well, the Hispanic uh, millennial, uh, we know they enjoy cooking and improving their health is, is one of their main, uh, uh, I would say main priorities. So, you know, I, I know claims, uh, we have research which shows that there's a lot of claims that they tend to respond to. So maybe like benefit, uh, health claims and things like that. So not an opportunity for our industry um, uh, to make sure that they're calling out some of these uh, health claims uh, around pork so that they start kind of building that relationship with the consumer that seems to gravitate toward those. Um, and then we know that um, that the the what do you call it, the Gen Zennials or the Gen Zs in this case, they're, um, they're younger. Uh, they're not necessarily uh, eating as much pork at the moment, but we know they're next in line for future pork consumption after the millennials. So we got to start them early and it's important to proactively engage and connect with these consumers or otherwise uh, we're going to lose them and our industry is going to suffer. Yeah, I've been noticing lately when it comes to social media and the reels, right? That's anymore the way people are consuming social media is just kind of flipping through those um, recipes and recipe sharing. And the following that those are getting um, has really exploded. And when I'm going through those, I'm sending them and sharing them with friends and, and my wife, like, oh, this would be great to try, or this would be good to try and almost saving it and bookmarking it. Um, how how is the National Pork Board? Uh, can you speak to how the National Pork Board is leveraging social media to connect with these generations? Yeah, absolutely. It it is at the core of what we do. Uh, we know, as I mentioned, that you know their social media usage is is through the roof. Um, you know, particularly take TikTok for example. TikTok was probably not a big platform for us over the last few years, but we made it a priority starting this year actually we made it a priority why because this particularly with the with the gen z um a group they their social media their tiktok usage is through the roof and so we we typically use instagram and tiktok uh, among our priority channel we do some facebook but facebook seems to be changing a little bit in terms of catering more to like the older generation yeah um so we, we have to adjust that a little bit. But I mean, TikTok, I mean, we put a video on TikTok uh, earlier this year. Within four or five weeks, it had about a million views. I mean, it was unbelievable. And what we noticed too is transparency, right? This consumer, the younger consumer, they want to know where their food comes from. They want to know, you know, what's the process behind the scenes and those kind of things. So, you know, we see a lot more engagement on TikTok from consumers asking questions or they're, they're not afraid to tell you they like something or uh, they want to share a thought or whatever. They're very active, particularly on that TikTok platform. Instagram, 
we see it, but not to that extent. So we get a lot of engagement, but not necessarily, um, you know, engagement around, you know, the, the 145 message or what they perceive to be that's raw. And then you, it's an opportunity for us to educate them. No, it can be safe if you could get 145 with a three-minute rest. I mean, all those things we can really talk about on TikTok. And so it's important that you're reaching these consumers in the right places, right? Because if not, we're missing the boat. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we've been very active. We're growing that platform. I mean, uh, we're going to continue to grow that platform because, again, this is about being relevant to these consumers and instilling confidence that pork is good for them to eat. Would you say that the, the difference is culturally um, are more distant than the differences generational-wise? Are millennials across the board from generate or from culture to culture more similar than maybe the cultures are like, are, is that demographic fairly easy to, to say uh, Hispanic consumers that are millennials and non-Hispanic consumers that are millennials, are, are they fairly similar? Or are you seeing some substantial differences between those as well? The younger of the generation you get, the more diverse they are. Okay. So it's kind of uh, almost hard to speak about millennials without, or, or Gen Z without talking about, you know, whether it's a black person or uh, a Hispanic or an Asian, right? Because they're so diverse. Uh, and by the way, just to make something clear, it is perfectly fine to use Hispanic, Latino interchangeably as well as African American and black. So just want to make that clear. Um, so, you know, there there is no. Uh, I mean, there are differences, it, and mainly it's about culture, right? I mean, these are, these are uh, you know, younger consumers that grew up in a household that have some sort of, obviously, uh, diverse background. And so, really, there, there's a culture there, a cultural anchor to all the things that they do, which is why we're trying to be very precise with our marketing, because that's how you hit home. And... I, I wouldn't say everybody's the same. I think everybody has different, um, you know, perspectives and, and beliefs. Um, but the younger generation in general seems to be a little bit more vocal, uh, regardless of background, um, and, and a little bit more, you know, they pay a lot of attention to some things like, you know, where is my food coming from? How, how are animals being raised? Those kind of things, right? They're a little bit more conscious about that than maybe other demographics or other groups. No, that's really interesting. I actually would have thought that because of social media, the younger generations would have been more similarly aligned than and the older. So that's fascinating to hear that they're actually more diverse and and not even a little bit. You made it sound like it's it's in a big way much more diverse uh, the younger you get. So that's a uh, it's only going to make things more complicated for the pork board, right? But it's it's good that we know that's where we're starting from. And uh, sounds like you guys have a large variety of strategies to help address that. Yeah, I mean, we see it as an opportunity. I mean, you know, you think about where where this consumer is. So think about, you know, California, New York, Florida, Texas, those four states right there account for about a third of the population uh, in the U.S. And they happen to be very diverse, as you can imagine. Um, so I... I believe this is a huge opportunity for our industry, a huge opportunity. I mean, think about this for a second. You, you don't have to convince them to eat more or, or to eat pork, right? They already love you. The question is, how, how do we incre increase the frequency of pork consumption? 
how do we generate more demand about that? It's easier, um, you know, to take a share from somebody that loves you that, that, than somebody that doesn't love you, right? And they love the product. They love the product. They just have some, you know, concerns around the product that need to be addressed so that we can kind of flip the, the script a little bit. Um, but it is, uh, you know, it's a growing market. They love your product. Uh, I mean, what else can you, I mean, they have the money to afford it, right? It's not about that. It's not that they can't afford it. So, you know, it, it's from a marketing perspective, it's a great target, right? And for, yeah. we, I mean, every time we've gone with a producer, whether it's a trip to Asia, an Asian country or Mexico, they're blown away by how people, you know, how much people use and uh, use pork in their meals and how they use it, right? So I think there's a tremendous affinity for a product that screams opportunity for our industry. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective and wisdom on the topic and look forward to keeping in touch as these initiatives continue to move forward and grow. Like you said, it's going to be a while till we see the fruits of this just because these are deep-rooted uh, traditions and um, and challenges, but it sounds like you guys are off to a good start. So thank you very much for being a guest. My last question for you, um, well, first off, feel free to add anything else that I may not have asked or you may have not been able to share, but then also could you please share a golden nugget, a bit of life wisdom that you've learned along the way. It doesn't have to be related to the pork industry, just something that listeners can take home and and take to heart. Yeah, so I'll start with uh, a little bit of the, the first question. Um, I, I think one thing that I, I want to make sure is for producers to know that, you know, we recognize uh, where we at with the industry, where the industry is. We, are, we recognize the, the pain that they're uh, obviously going through and you know, we're, we're working hard uh, to make sure that we're doing the best job we can to, to really um, drive volume and value for our producers. Uh, it's, not, it's not an easy moment right now, uh, but, but their team over here at the Port Board, um, we're working hard with our partners to make sure that pork is top of mind for consumers. And so just want to call that out. Um, in terms of uh, wisdom, you know, one of the things that that I always, you know, and I use this even with with my son who plays baseball, um, is 15 years old. But we talk about um, that nothing nothing is given to you. Uh, we're not entitled to anything, right? And I use this just in work, in my business, and you know, in my daily life. Uh, but every day you got to go out. You got to get after it. Nothing is given, nothing is, uh, I, I'm not entitled to anything other than giving my best every day to try to make a difference. And, um, you know, these are tough times. And I wake up every day thinking about how can I make a difference in the life of producers right now? Because it is a big, it is, it, it is real. And so, you know, I used to have a saying too that somebody told me along the way, I'm sure it's not new that, you know, if it's not going to matter in, you know, in five years, don't spend five minutes thinking about it. Um, that's how the window. Now. I mean, this, this are real time for our producers. And I, um, you know, I wake up every day thinking about how can not just myself, but my team, our team here, you know, the partners that we work with, how can we make a difference in the live producer right now? So that's really what's driving. And, you know, all the work that we talked about today here, this is, 
this is what we're out and about talking to our partner, to our retailers, to everybody that sells pork, right? Because we got to make sure that pork comes through this uh, challenges uh, that, that we're facing right now uh, with our producer. So uh, I'm not sure it, it is uh, earth shattering, but at the end of the day, uh, I don't look at, at nothing that I do, I take for granted. I, I, I wake up every day thinking about how can I make a difference and, and then I get after it. Well, thank you, Jose, for being a guest on the Popular Pig Podcast. For those who are listening, what is a great way that they can get in touch with you if they have more questions? Absolutely. So uh, you can reach uh, directly, um, you know, by email, uh, jdehesus at port.org. That's the best way to get a hold of me. You can call the National Port Board and have them transferred to my, to my office. So anyway, any ideas that anybody have, please share that along the way. We're listening. We're working hard. And, uh, you know, we hope we hope to to make a big difference uh, here with all the work that we're doing. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.